loving Father in heaven. Praise, honor, glory, and adoration be unto your holy name. Thank you for your goodness and your mercies which you have lavished on us, sinful, unworthy mortals like ourselves, having such wonderful gifts as your word, the Holy Spirit, the holy angels working on our behalf and our Lord Jesus in heaven interceding for our sins. Lord, we are in great awe, in great awe of your mercy and kindness. Dear Father, extend your kindness even further to us as we fellowship with you, that your word may come to us and lift us up, that we may behold Christ and be transformed into the image of Jesus as we study. I have nothing to say to bless your children, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel to reach them and speak words of blessings to each and every one of us, including myself. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, December 1 Paul exalts the cross For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 to 4 It had been Paul's custom to adopt an oratorical style in his preaching. He was a man fitted to speak before kings, before the great and learned men of Athens, and his intellectual acquirements were often of value to him in preparing the way for the gospel. He tried to do this in Athens, meeting eloquence with eloquence, philosophy with philosophy and logic with logic. But he failed to meet with the success he had hoped for. His aftersight led him to understand that there was something needed above human wisdom. He must receive his power from a higher source. In order to convict and convert sinners, the Spirit of God must come into his work and sanctify every spiritual development. To Paul, the cross was the one subject of supreme interest. Ever since he had been arrested in his career of persecution against the followers of the crucified Nazarene, he had never ceased to glory in the cross. He knew by personal experience that when a sinner once beholds the love of the Father as seen in the sacrifice of his Son and yields to the divine influence, a change of heart takes place, and henceforth Christ is all and in all. At the time of his conversion, Paul was inspired with a longing desire to help his fellow men to behold Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of the living God, mighty to transform and to save. Henceforth, his life was wholly devoted to an effort to portray the love and power of the Crucified One. The apostles were not confined to public speaking. There were many who could not have been reached in that way. 
he visited the sick and the sorrowing, comforted the afflicted, and lifted up the oppressed. And in all that he said and did, he magnified the name of Jesus. Paul realized that his sufficiency was not in himself, but in the presence of the Holy Spirit, whose gracious influence filled his heart. Self was hidden, Christ was revealed and exalted. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Paul Exalts the Cross. We left off with the Arabian interlude where Paul had to, because of the persecution that he received in Damascus, he had to go to Arabia and stay there for three years, searching his heart, examining himself and preparing himself for the work of the gospel to the Gentiles that the Lord Jesus had committed to him. Not long after that, the man named Barnabas met Paul. In the book of Acts 9 verse 26, to 31 it says and when Saul was come to Jerusalem he assayed to join himself to the disciples but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out to Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Amen. So here it is that we see something that Paul went to Jerusalem, preached there, but they wanted to kill him and he had to leave. From here on out, Paul will be extensively involved in a series of missionary efforts. The book of Acts tells us how much he and Barnabas did. Reading from the book of Acts 13, rather Acts chapter 12, after the death of Herod, there it says in verse 24 and 25, But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And the book of Acts 13 teaches us something very important, how the brethren, which included Barnabas and Saul and Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manain, they were all fasting and praying. And the Holy Spirit told them, separate, that's verse 2 now, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Barnabas and Saul were handpicked by God as people who should go in twos, the way Jesus instituted. You see how the Spirit of the Lord speaks the things that Jesus has said? The Holy Spirit didn't bring a new method. He fell back to the same method. That is why it is the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is the Comforter. He is Jesus with us now. And the Holy Spirit told them, I need these two men together, Barnabas and Saul. They were going for a series of missionary efforts. They went to Cyprus where the deputy of Cyprus known as Sergius Paulus became a convert and not just him. If you read verse 12 of Acts 13, it says, Then the deputy, when he saw that was what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And not just him, of course, there were many others. And then from Cyprus, they went to Perga. From Perga, they went to a very important location, Antioch of Pisidia. 
Antioch of Pisidia is where Barnabas used to be and he took Saul there and they went together and when they were in the church something remarkable happened. They preached the truth to the people in the synagogue and the church became divided. A lot believed in Jesus and a lot did not. What Saul preached there was very very important. What Paul preached there, he preached to them Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was what he preached. If you look at it now in the book of Acts 13 from verse 27, he told them, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, that's Jesus, they didn't know Jesus, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that is from the cross, and laid him in a sepulchre. But God raised him up from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he had raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Saul was going from scripture to scripture just as Jesus taught them from the psalms to the prophets to the um, law and he was showing them things concerning Jesus and how Jesus was the Messiah. Now what happened was that the Jews became divided. Some of them believed and others did not. Paul was preaching the cross and exalting the cross to them at this location. And this was what his manner of preaching was. And like we read in the devotion, Paul was a man that had the talent of speech. He was trained to speak before kings. He was trained to know how to use his words to properly communicate what he meant in such a way that he would not be misunderstood and will be clearly understood, which has pros and cons. The con of that is when people properly understand you, they can actually get offended and they were offended with him. But the pro, the, the good part of it is that people really got the truth as he preached Christ, as he, they heard, even though they didn't see, the Holy Spirit was walking in their hearts and the people there were wondering, oh, there's somebody Jesus who resurrected? But guess what? It was not just them. There were others who were not even Jews, but they were Gentiles. And these Gentiles, they heard these things and they wanted to hear it again and again. It says in the book of Acts 13, still in Antioch of Pisidia, from verse 43 it says now when the congregation was broken up many of the jews and religious proselytes followed paul and barnabas who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of god now what was it that paul and barnabas preached they preached christ and him crucified that was what they preached and what was the result many of the jews and the religious proselytes they followed paul and barnabas it didn't say a few many of them but it wasn't just them now hear this in now in verse 42 it says and when the jews were gone out of the synagogue the gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next sabbath verse 44 says and the next sabbath they came almost the whole city together to hear the word of god amen so the preaching of the cross brought both Jews and Gentiles to the truth. It goes on to say in verse 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, 
contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it far from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Amen. Why am I going through this? It was the preaching of the cross that Paul did to the Gentiles at Antioch of Pisidia. It was still the preaching of the cross that he did in subsequent locations. From Antioch, he went to Iconium. The people of Iconium believed, but many of the Jews rose up against him and they chased Paul and Barnabas away. Then Paul went to Lystra. When he was in Lystra, a great number of people believed as he was preaching the truth. In fact, the people of Lystra, they were not actually Christians. But when he preached the cross, and the Gentiles who were there saw some of the things that were done through them, the miracles, they said, these, are, these men are gods. They called Paul Jupiter, and then they called Barnabas Mercurius, and they wanted to worship them. That's how far these people believed the truth as they were preaching the cross. But in Lystra, the envious Jews, remember they were envious Jews in Antioch. Those envious Jews from Antioch came to Lystra and they stoned Paul. But the Lord saved him. And then from there he went to Derby, and then he went back to those places he had gone to before, which is Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, what was it that brought about this great movement in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby, in Antioch? The preaching of the cross. But then, when Paul went to Athens, something different happened. He, this time he was with Silas. He had an experience that would teach him a lesson and would change his manner of labor. In the book of Acts 17 from verse 16 it says, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the whole city given to idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said what will this babbler say other some said he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them jesus and the resurrection so what did he preach he preached unto them jesus and the resurrection and they took him and brought him unto areopagus saying maybe know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears we would know therefore what these things mean for all the athenians and strangers which were there, which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and had made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And while Paul continued to preach to them, in verse 28, he told them, But this God, it is in, in him we live and move and have our being. And then he referred to their own their own poetic books and said some of your poets have said for we are also his offspring so 
as he continued, he was expecting that going through this preaching that appealed to one of their poets may help them to resonate with God. But the record says in verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Aropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The converts here were few, and though he used their philosophy to try to reach them, it didn't make them change their ways or their mind. They didn't deny what he said was true, but they were not converted. Why is this so? Like we read, I'm reading now from Ministry of Healing, page 214, paragraph 1, the experience of the Apostle Paul in meeting the philosophers of Athens has a lesson for us. In presenting the gospel before the court of Areopagus, Paul met logic with logic, science with science, philosophy with philosophy. The wisest of his hearers were astonished and silenced. His words could not be controverted, but the effort bore little fruit. Few men were led to the gospel. Henceforth, Paul adopted a different manner of labor. He avoided elaborate arguments and discussion of theories, and in simplicity, pointed men and women to Christ as the savior of sinners. Writing to the Corinthians of his work among them, he said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 to 5 end of quote. So here we see two manners of labor, one that depends on eloquence and oratory and one that depends on the Holy Spirit. And that which depends on the Holy Spirit will preach the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and Christ crucified, but will not necessarily think that it is by how much eloquence or how much vocabulary that is used that will convince the people who are learned. These philosophers and Areopagites and the Epicureans and Stoics, these are the men of learning in those days. And Paul felt that in speaking to them based on their logical thinking and their philosophy that he would reach them from that angle. But it didn't work and he understood now that it was futile to do that, that the best thing to do was for people to behold Christ and him crucified. This is exactly what brings about a change in the heart. Jesus himself said that I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He said in the book of um, John 12 then when he was speaking to the people that a seed, when it falls to the ground, that is when it will bear much fruit. It is the death of Jesus, that seed falling to the ground and dying, that's what he said. Unless a seed of corn falls to the ground and dies, it does not bear fruit. So what is it that will bring about the bearing of fruit? It is the seed falling to the ground and dying. That is what he said in John 12 verse 24. So what does that mean for us? Except we present Christ and him crucified, the heart will not be touched. Jesus speaking about this said in the book Desire of Ages, page 455, paragraph 3. My teaching is not mine, said Jesus, but his that sent me. If any man willeth to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's John 7 verse 16 and 17. 
Now hear this very well as to how we understand the truth. It says, The question of this cavil as Jesus met not by answering the cavil, but by opening up truth vital to the salvation of the soul. The perception and appreciation of truth, he said, depends less upon the mind than upon the heart. Truth must be received into the soul. It claims the homage of the will. If truth could be submitted to the reason alone, pride will be no hindrance in the way of its reception. But it is to be received through the work of grace in the heart. And its reception depends upon the renunciation of every sin that the Spirit of God reveals. Man's advantage is for obtaining a knowledge of the truth, however great these may be, will prove of no benefit to him unless the heart is open to receive the truth, and there is a conscientious surrender of every habit and practice that is opposed to its principles. To those who thus yield themselves to God, having an honest desire to know and to do his will, the truth is revealed as the power of God for their salvation. These will be able to distinguish between him who speaks for God and him who speaks merely from himself. The Pharisees had not put their will on the side of God's will. They were not seeking to know the truth but to find some excuse for evading it. Christ showed that this was why they did not understand his teaching. End of quote. What we read here now says there are two things, the heart and the mind. If it was just the mind which would follow our faculties, our reasoning alone that the truth had to appeal to, then it would have been easier. But then the truth has to be lodged in the heart. It is not to be submitted to the reason alone. But then when there is pride, pride is not something that is of the faculties, it is something of the heart. Pride will hinder the truth. There is a barrier in the heart. When I say the heart, it's not necessarily about your mental capacities here. This is talking about the soul, the character. When we realize that if you have pride, for example, no matter how you hear the truth, just like the Pharisees and Caiaphas and Co, did they not know that Jesus resurrected? They did. As far as as their faculties go, they knew that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And they knew that he was around 40 days and resurrected and ascended. They knew these things. And even before they crucified him, they knew that this man was the Messiah as far as their mind could tell. But then, the truth does not appeal to the mind alone. So that is why, when you meet people and speak to them, meeting logic with logic, philosophy with philosophy, reasoning with reason, you may not make any headway. It is prayer for that person so that the truth will reach the heart. Hitting the uh, nail in a sure place and laying the axe to the root is what helps. The root of the problem is not that people cannot understand the truth, but people love sin. There is pride in the heart and there is no desire to want to let go of the things they are enjoying in the world. And that's why many people come against the truth. That is the barrier to the truth. If it was only for the reasoning, oh, many people will believe. And this is the reason why the preaching of the cross is the most important thing. You may go on an evangelism, show people from passage to passage in the scriptures why they should do this or that, why the Ten Commandments are still valid, tell them all these things and they will remain the way they are. And why is that so? Because of the heart that has not been converted. There is still pride there. There is still love of pleasure. There is still love for sin. There is still sympathy towards the world. And unless these things are uprooted, then 
no matter how clear you are in your presentation, no matter how right you are, no matter how learned, no matter how polished your words, which is not a bad thing, it will not reach hearts. And that's why long, far-fetched reasoning is not what helps. Reading from Evangelism page 171, we are told Christ seldom attempted to prove that truth is truth. He illustrated truth in all its bearings and then left his hearers free to accept or reject it, as they might choose. He did not force anyone to believe. In the Sermon on the Mount, he instructed the people in practical godliness, distinctly outlining their duty. And this is what helps people, practical godliness, distinctly outlining their duty. He spoke in such a manner as to commend truth to the conscience. The power manifested by the disciples was revealed in the clearness and earnestness with which they expressed the truth. In Christ's teaching, there is no long, far-fetched, complicated reasoning. He comes right to the point. In his ministry, he read every heart as an open book, and from the inexhaustible store of his treasure house, he drew things, both new and old, to illustrate and force his teachings. He touched the heart. Take note, not the mind now, not the faculties, but he touched the heart and awakened the sympathies, end of quote. That's why we must preach Christ. That is what awakens the sympathy and touch the heart and touches the heart. Again, page 172, paragraph 3 of Evangelism says, We need far less controversy and far more presentation of Christ. Our Redeemer is the center of all our faith and hope. Those who can present his matchless love and inspire hearts to give him their best and holiest affections are doing work that is great and holy. The many argumentative sermons preached seldom soften and subdue the soul. Amen. Like I said before, it is the preaching of Christ that touches the soul. And if it doesn't touch it, leave it. There's no need even trying any other uh, method. John 12 verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. John 3 verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what is it that brings people to Christ? It is the cross. He said when he is lifted up, that is when he dies on the cross. And he also talked about the seed that falls on the ground. That is what brings the fruit. So in our own ministry, we must understand just as Paul later had to understand, it is the preaching of the cross that brings about a transformation. And later in writing to the Corinthians, he said, Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 22, he said, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 27, he says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised had God chosen, yea, and all things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Amen. So, what is it? It is true that when you preach Christ, some people wouldn't love it. 
when you preach the cross what do we mean by the cross here not just referring to jesus and his him coming down to die for our sins which is the most important of the messages but also telling people the practical things that are required of them not necessarily just the doctrinal but the practical teachings of the commandments of god that is what reaches the heart and then telling them of how our lord jesus left all he had to come down to this earth for you and me to die on the cross for our sins that is what reaches the heart it awakens the sympathies when properly presented when properly broken down it makes people to see that matchless love of god and his son jesus that would make them to drop all their pride and their prejudice and would be open to receive other parts of the truth also when we deal with minds that are struggling with sin it is still the same thing we must reach the heart when you want to break down reason to them and telling them why the homosexuality is a sin why this is a sin and that is a sin it may not hold water but when we go with Christ's method presenting to them the goodness of God and telling them of his love and what he came to do for us and how he doesn't like sin and telling them what sin is and how the Lord loves those who are sinners but hates the sin and is stretching forth his hands to save and that's why he died on the cross to save not to condemn those are the things that touch the heart i've heard a homosexual say that he prefers that jesus that he knows that he reads about in the bible than what specifically he mentioned the catholic church did to people now it's true that i don't know this man's whole background but i know that he does struggle with that lifestyle or perhaps accepts it as normal but at least he was able to mention that he has no problem with the man jesus that he has read about in the scriptures perhaps if there was a christian who could behave like jesus to him who knows it may transform him reading from ministry of healing page 163 paragraph 3 and um, page 164 it says it is a delicate matter to deal with minds only he, he who reads the heart knows how to bring men to repentance only his wisdom can give us success in reaching the lost you may stand up stiffly feeling i am holier than thou and it matters not how correct your reasoning or how how true your words they will never touch hearts the love of christ manifested in word and act will win its way to the soul when the reiteration of precepts or arguments would accomplish nothing we need more of christ-like sympathy not merely sympathy for those who appear to us to be faultless but sympathy for poor suffering struggling souls who are often overtaken in fault sinning and repenting tempted and discouraged we are to go to our fellow men touched like our merciful high priest with the feeling of their infirmities end of quote so this is the manner of labor that we must follow winning the hearts of the people reading again now evangelism page 170 paragraph 2 and 3 we are told people cannot be expected to see at once the advantage of the truth over the error they have cherished the best way to expose the fallacy of error is to present the evidences of truth this is the greatest rebuke that can be given to error dispel the cloud of darkness resting on minds by reflecting the bright light of the sun of righteousness win the confidence of the people those who labor for christ should be men and women of great discretion so that those who do not understand their doctrines may be led to respect them so you see that 
even though people may be against the truth, your doctrines and your reasoning and showing them logic to logic, principle to principle, scripture upon scripture, one thing that you can do for the people is to lead them to respect you is that you must be a person of great discretion. And it goes on to say that the people may be able to respect them and regard them as persons void of fanaticism, void of rashness and impetuosity. Their discourses and conduct and conversation should be of a nature that will lead men to the conclusion that these ministers are men of thought, of solidity, of character, men who fear and love their Heavenly Father. They should win the confidence of the people so that those who listen to the preaching may know that the ministers have not come with some cunningly devised fable, but that their words are words of worth, a testimony that demands thought and attention. Let the people see you exalting Jesus and hiding self. And in page 178, paragraph 4, it says, It is harder to reach the hearts of men today than it was 20 years ago. And this was written in 1908. So what do you think it is now? We have gone more than 100 years since then. If it was harder then, then how is it now? It is perhaps 50 times or 100 times harder than it was in those days. And he goes on to say, the most convincing arguments may be presented, and yet, sinners seem as far from salvation as ever. Ministers should not preach sermon after sermon on doctrinal subjects alone. Practical godliness should find a place in every discourse. End of quote. What have we learned today? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It doesn't mean that when you preach Christ and Him crucified and the practicality of the truth that everybody will be transformed. No. But what Paul said is that when you preach Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God to some, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To some of the Greeks, it is foolishness. But to those that are called, take note of that, to them that are called, this is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. When you preach the cross to some Jews, stumbling block, to some Greeks, it is foolishness. But in verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but unto them which are called, you know that this truth is not going to take everybody. So just preach that which you will, those who are called will hear it and will change. Unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Paul says, It is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I don't know if you are getting the message. There is really no point in giving the Jews what they want to hear because they are seeking after a sign. And then the Greeks giving them what they want to hear, they are seeking after wisdom. If you give them that, it won't still change them. And even if it does, it won't last. We want those who are called, those who are truly the children of God. How do you know them? Preach the cross. And what do we mean by preaching the cross? Tell them that they are sinners and they are in need of a savior. And that that savior has come and his name is Jesus. And he died on the cross of Calvary for their sins. And has paid the price because he loves us. Because he cares for us. And that's why he took such great love and such great sacrifice on himself to die and let them know this is the reason it is because you are practicing this or that and this is the sin you have committed that's why you need the savior and that's why he has already done it beforehand even before you knew it and if they are really called that is the thing their hearts will be touched because we need a message to touch the heart and not one to just touch the mind and the reasoning because if it was only the reasoning of course many people will be converted but it is not the reasoning alone the heart 
needs to be met. Pride needs to go away. The love of sin needs to go away. Indulgences needs to go away. And not until we behold Christ can we be transformed and be changed. We have already seen how it was that the thief on the cross was changed. Not by any sermon, but by beholding Christ on the cross. So also the centurion said, truly this is the Son of God. Why? Was it because of the son of his servants that Jesus healed? It was not because of the servants. That was a sign. The sign did not make him change his ways. Nicodemus also, he confessed, so also with Joseph of Arimathea. How was it that they all knew that Jesus was the Messiah? It was when Christ was on the cross. That is why the preaching of the cross is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is not by going at a show. You know when you meet these philosophers and those who are atheists and then you are trying to prove to them how God really created. How many of them have really been transformed by studying the signs and studying the skies? Yeah, there may be one or two. But that's exactly what happened to Paul. When he went to preach to the Athenians, there was just a few of them that converted. There were not many. So also today, when we want to meet them philosophy with philosophy, telling them about the universe and telling them about creation and the evidences of all of that, it may touch some hearts, yes. But there's something more powerful than that. Christ and him crucified. Some of us may be thinking, how can these people are so far from the truth? If you preach it, they will just laugh at you. Yes. Guess what? Those who are laughing, it is because they were not called. It's not everybody that is of Christ. Those who are of Christ, when they hear that preaching of the cross, they will be able to to resonate with it. The Spirit of God that has been working on their hearts will resonate with that message and they will be converted. But those who the Spirit of God has been working on them and they've been resisting, preach ever so much the cross. Preach wisdom. Preach philosophy. Show them signs. They will not still change. So don't bother yourself with the showing of signs and wonders and the breaking down of the logics and philosophies and the reasoning. Don't just bother yourself. The best thing to do is not as if those things are not in place. They are of course in place. But you must combine it heavily with the preaching of the cross. And I want to state plainly what I mean by preaching of the cross telling people of their sins and of the Savior who has already loved them and died for their sins. Let them know that they are debtors to God because of their sins. Let them know what the commandments of God is and let them know that there is a death sentence on every human being's head and that there is a Savior who has paid the price for that death that we are supposed to die and he is requesting that we do not perish but have everlasting life by believing in him and receiving power from him to become the sons and daughters of God that we may be heirs with him in his kingdom when he comes. Paul exalted the cross. He did not only tell the people of the joy of being children of God but he taught them the teachings of Jesus that whosoever will come after Jesus must first of all deny himself, take up his own cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a cross to bear and this cross comes when we keep the commandments of God. But then it is pleasant to carry that cross because Paul exalted that cross and himself said that he desires to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he then said that he glories in his infirmities. What are these infirmities? In his weaknesses, the suffering that comes to him when he is obeying God, he glories in it. If we exalt the cross, we will not talk of the suffering that comes with obedience 
as a negative thing. Paul spoke of it as a positive thing. He spoke of it as the qualification he has to to suffer with God and to rejoice in it. Preaching of the cross as Paul did, exalting the cross, has to do with us talking about, like I mentioned earlier, self-denial. Paul talked about how he keeps his body under, so he controls his appetite when it comes to food and he also controls his fleshly desires. He said, I die daily. This is the cross he had to take with him. He exalting the cross of Jesus was teaching others that we also have a cross to bear and as we behold Christ, which is the main part of this preaching of the cross, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, he said, we all beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The preaching of the cross, the foundation of it has to do with not just pointing people's sins to them, but pointing people to behold Jesus and contemplating his character that as we behold him, we ourselves will be transformed into the same image. This is the foundation of the preaching of the cross. We see Christ in his obedience to the law of God, in his purity of character, and we are charmed with the same image and we want to be more like him and we receive power as we study his life to become like him. This is the preaching of the cross and we are to understand that there must be that combination. You don't just preach doctrinal things and showing reason with reason, philosophy with philosophy and logic with logic. There must be a heavy emphasis on Jesus and him crucified. And, and you can't talk of Jesus and him crucified unless you let people know why, which is because of their sins. And the sin must be pointed out. That is a practical thing now. Let them know this is the sin. If not, there will be no need for the death of Jesus. You can't just tell people, oh, Jesus died for you. For what? Why did I, did he, what did he die for me for? For what purpose? You have to mention the reason. We are sinners. And the sin needs to be mentioned. That you killed. You, had, you committed adultery. You did this. You did that. And it is in the law of God. And if the spirit is working in their hearts, you will know that they know that what they did is wrong. When they told a lie. When they fornicated. When they were also stealing and cherishing covetousness in their heart, jealousy, envy, hatred, bitterness, sowing discord among brethren, the Holy Spirit working in their heart will let them know, I need a savior. If the Spirit is working, they will know, I need a savior. While you are saying this, and then you present Jesus as a savior, they will feel the burden of their sins and the guilt go away. If they are called, take note. Don't think that's going to work for everybody if they are called. This is the message, Christ and him crucified. And that is why Paul said, I determined to know nothing else among you than Christ and him crucified because that is what works. That is how he said it in the book of 1 Corinthians 2 now verse 6. This is how be it. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Amen. So, let us learn to preach Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for this message. Oh Lord, please, before we even preach anything to anyone, may we be touched by the message of the preaching of the cross may it indeed be power to us and wisdom to us lord help that we as we go through as we behold christ 
As we understand our sin, may we see the need of a Savior in our own lives and give us the eloquence and give us the wisdom and the skill and tact to know how to present Christ and Him crucified to those around us, that we may be co-workers with you, bringing souls into the knowledge of the truth and making them heirs of salvation. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Brother Taylor, keep on preaching Cause you know just what we need When we turn from what we know is right And what is good indeed Brother Taylor, don't be easy As you're telling us his word Tell the greatest news that man has ever heard At the old country church house He was the preacher man He preached the word from the Bible Talking about the promised land and the old-time religion And just how it will be It seemed like he was preaching to me When he spoke about righteousness And having pure minds and controlling our appetite All of the time didn't know if I could live it Cause you know just what we need When we turn from what we know is right And what is good and need Brother Taylor, don't be easy As you're telling us his word Tell the greatest news that man has ever heard Then I came to the cross And I was given a choice I could see Brother Taylor If you want to follow Jesus And would answer his call You know you've got to give him your all So I made a decision That I would do what is right I would give to the master All of my life It's for old brother Taylor's An inspiration to me Guides me to return a day Brother Taylor, keep on preaching Cause you know just what we need When we turn from what we know is right And what is good in me Brother Taylor, don't be easy As you're telling us his word Tell the greatest news that man has ever heard Though he's gonna have the strength to carry on The word he left with me is I'm forgiven I hear him preaching now as he is sharing with us how That we can live together up in heaven Brother Taylor, keep on preaching Cause you know just what we need When we turn from what we know Ever heard.